up, Danny? We're here, number 116, guest incoming. In fact, I'm going to say right now that there's a chance in the next, like, ten minutes I'm just going to stand up and go let our guest in if she shows up on time. And I'm just going to let you keep talking when that happens. And we're just going to play this naturally. But until then, how are you doing? Pretty well. It's been a warm day. starting to warm up here in Missoula, Montana. Yeah, man, just kind of hanging out. Looking forward to talking about Suspiria today. Right, Suspiria 2018. Yeah. Not old school Suspiria, which we already covered a few months ago, or like half a year. God, how long ago was it? Yeah, it was about half a year ago. I think we covered it right before what we're going to talk about today came out. So sometime in, I think around October? Yeah, something like that. I mean, yeah, because we covered it, what, like... I think it was right, right before, before the we film went and came watched out. it at the Roxy. Yeah, and then right before I went and seen Goblin, so it was around October. Sweet. Well, I'm excited. I mean, we already put out like our reaction to it back when it came out, but I'm excited to do a full-on episode about it because I think we both agreed at the time of watching it that it's a fucking dense movie, one that we both really wanted to revisit in some way, and I think the easiest way with it not just saying the same thing we said in our reactions is to bring someone else in on it. So, like we said, we'll have somebody here, somebody you all are familiar with, and that you already know by reading the fucking title of the episode. So, I'm like pretty excited about the fact that we have a guest on, and it'll be nice to have a, a fresh pair of eyes on this. But, yeah, aside from that, I've um, had a pretty laid-back week. I finally got to watch Star Wars, The Last Jedi. been meaning to do that for I a while. I haven't been long enough. I know, right? But it's like, you know what? Might as well. Got caught up with that. Did get to see the trailer for It Chapter 2. I know we talked about that briefly last week, that it was going to drop last Thursday, so I did check that out. Yeah, so did I. I'm excited. Looks better than the original second part. So, so far, so far so good. God, yeah, I don't really have anything. I just have a few, and like by a few, I mean like maybe three or four bits of news. So one of the things I'll lead off with, I know we've prefaced this before, is the fact that, unfortunately, there's people in the industry that pass away. I think I know you're from this morning. No, actually, just oh. I want to say from just a few days ago, but actress, singer, and mother of Rashida Jones, Peggy Lipton, passed away. And probably some of the people who listen to our podcast might be more familiar with her for her work on Twin Peaks because she played Norma Jennings. Now, she was in the first two seasons, and then she reprised her role more recently in 2017. But just recently she passed away, which is unfortunate. But some other bits of news that aren't too bleak is I did see some information regarding the human centipede, and it's coming up on its 10th anniversary. And with that, there's going to be a graphic novel and a behind-the-scenes book on the way. So for fans of Tom Six and the trilogy, look forward to that. I still haven't watched the last two. Only the first one. I've seen most of the second one. I've seen, I won't say all the way through, but the majority of it, I need to sit down and pay attention to it. I haven't seen the third one. I heard it's kind of shit. But we'll take a look and find out sometime. All right, now this is a franchise we're no strangers to because we have pretty much reviewed all the films, excluding the series, but apparently the next installment of the Purge film franchise is going to arrive next summer in 2020, so we'll see what happens with that. I didn't mind the films. I think they were pretty decent. I mean, they're nothing that's going to blow your mind, but they're entertaining. Yeah, I think we both enjoyed doing our purge month a lot more than we thought we were going to but (laughs) yeah for sure uh, rest assured we are not going to recap them all (laughs) on this show before we do that last at this point though like we're going to cover the last one that comes out i think so yeah i mean we we have to (laughs) even though we've skipped the series i think we're going to have to do that and that's okay man i'm looking forward to that and uh, the last little bit of news i've seen is i know we're both fans of the film we haven't reviewed it yet but 
Jason Lee Howden's gory horror comedy, Death Chasm, is getting a sequel. So, pretty stoked about that. There's some information for those who are in the UK. So, Grimfest is going to be held around October 3rd through the 6th this year. And I think there's going to be some more information regarding the sequel around that time. So, keep your eyes and ears loaded to the ground and see what happens. But yeah, that's pretty much the bits of news that kind of caught my eye. Like I said, it's been kind of a laid back week. Most of it's been consumed trying to watch this film and take notes. So Yeah, it's a long fucking movie. It is, and especially trying to do two viewings. I mean, it's like five hours worth of film watching. I told you when you came in, I didn't even get to finish my second viewing. I would still be watching the last 15 minutes of it right now. <laughs> it's a long one. It's a good thing that the last, like, 20 minutes sort of burns its way into your brain. Oh, and I no did just watch doubt. it last night, so it was still pretty fresh. So Absolutely. Yeah, so it's not from that. <laughs> like I said, it's been a pretty laid-back week. She was excited about today, and uh, yeah, just waiting for our guest to arrive. Cool. Well, let's hit some guts and bolts and see what happens when she shows up. Guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts for Suspiria 2018. This is exciting. I like this movie quite a bit. I'm really glad that I spent five hours of the last (laughs) 24 hours watching this movie. (laughs) Jeez, dude, that's a good chunk of your time. Yeah. So let's see, what should we start with? A synopsis? Yeah, it's just a brief synopsis to give our audience an idea of what this movie's about. Spoiler free synopsis. So luckily with this one, they set it up right off the get-go. So spoiler free means a young, naive dancer who's just at the beginning of her career is accepted to a Tanzgruppe in Berlin, Germany during the German autumn. And witchy things happen. Yeah. It gets all witchy. Yeah, exactly. They they say that it's witches from the get-go in this one. That's so nice. And we don't have to dance around it. I know, right? (laughs) Dance around it. I like that. Yeah, so that's a good brief synopsis about what this film entails. And with that, we do like to talk about our cast and crew. This week's no different. I'll start off with our director, and that is Luca Guadagnino. And he is known for directing such films as I Am Love, A Bigger Splash, and Call Me By Your Name. Those are like a thematic trilogy, aren't they? Like, I don't know hardly anything about this guy other than Call Me By Your Name was the one with Army Hammer getting it it on with... It won, like, all the awards. (laughs) Yeah, but it was Army Hammer getting it on with a 17-year-old guy, right? Yeah, I saw the previews when we were... Like, doing some films, and I was like, oh, man, I don't know how much I want to watch this, because this seems like a, a movie about grooming. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, I know it's critically acclaimed. I shouldn't knock it without watching it, but, yeah, I know it's renowned. So, so our writers, we have talked about the fact that we've covered the original, and with that, the characters are based upon characters designed by Dario Argento and Daria Nicolodi. The screenplay was written by David Kajganich, and he is known for writing the screenplays for the films The Invasion, Blood Creek, True Story, A Bigger Splash, and The Terror, which is a television series that came out in 2018. The cinematographer on this film is, I hope I don't butcher this gentleman's name, but it is Sayumbu Mokdiprum, and he is known for being the cinematographer on such films as Happy Birthday, Uncle Bonmi, Who Can Recall His Past Lives, and Call Me By Your Name. The editor on this film is Walter Fasano, and if you look at his filmography, he's got some pretty interesting works because he has worked with Argento, and some of those films include The Card Player, Do You Like Hitchcock, and The Mother of Tears. He's also edited such films as A Five Star Life, A Bigger Splash, and Call Me By Your Name. Hmm. The music was done by Tom York, who is, of course, the front man for Radiohead, 
And I was like, oh, I didn't know this, but he actually supplied the voice for a character in Velvet Goldmine. Oh, shit. Okay. It's a really dope film. I like that one a lot. All right. The special effects were done by Fang's effects. They helped with the prosthetic teeth, and Metafix helped with the visual effects. Producers on this film, there's a slew of them, so I'll start off with Marco Maravito, Brad Fisher, Luca Guadagnino, David Kajganich, Silvia Venturini, Fendi, Francisco Melzi Diriel, William Sherrick, and Gabriel Moratti. The production companies, once again, there's a slew of them, and those production companies are Frenesy Film Company, Vidier, First Son, Mimo Films, Mythology Entertainment, Amazon Studios, and support with K Period Media. Distributors were Amazon Studios, they helped with the 2018 USA theatrical release, and VDA would help with the 2019 Italy's theatrical release. The release dates were September 1st, 2018, that was in Venice, that was at the Venice Film Festival in Italy, and it had an October 22nd, 2018 release here in the United States at the Beyond Fest. The budget for this film was an estimated $20 million, and the box office it made right around $7.7 million. I have a few taglines. I've got three of them. The first one is, give your soul to the dance. The second one I have is, the beauty hides the blood. And the third one is, darkness binds the gifted. I like all three of those taglines more than most taglines we run across on this show. Yeah, they're pretty on the point. Like, they're pretty poignant without being too much on the nose. Yeah. Okay, I, so. like all the, I like all of those. Nice. Okay, cool. Alright, so I'll delve into our cast, and our lead actress in this is played by Dakota Johnson, and she plays the role... But is it? Ah, uh, kind of, but not really. I mean, she's one She's one of the main characters, but she plays Susanna, Susie Banyan. People might know her from her works in the films The Social Network. She was in 21 Jump Street. She's more well-known for all those 50 Shades of Grey films that came out. She's also in A Bigger Splash. Oh, was she the Fifty Shades girl? Oh, yeah. I had no idea. Okay. Certainly is. She was also in Bad Times at the El Royale. Now, for those who don't know, this is a little bit of trivia. It doesn't give anything away to the movie. But she is the daughter of Melanie Griffith and Don Johnson. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. I think I did know that because when we talked about it before. But yeah, I was like, oh, no wonder. (laughs) All right. The next actress I have is Tilda Swinton. She plays three characters. I'm going to name two of them because one, I mean, by now it's well known, but then it was kind of hush-hush. So she plays the roles of Madame Blanc, and she also plays the role of Mother Helena Marcos. And then when we talk about the film, we'll talk about the other actor she plays. All right, now people will know her from her works in such things as We Need to Talk About Kevin, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Doctor Strange, She Was in the Beach. I mean, she's been in a ton of films. She's been in a lot of Luca Guadagnino films as well. I want to say like five of them? Yeah, something stupid like that. Yeah, so she's known for playing kind of androgynous characters. So yeah, I'm glad she's in this. All right, next actress I have is Mia Goth. She plays the character of Sarah Sims in this film. Now, she's been in such films as Everest, The Survivalist, and A Cure for Wellness. The next actress I have is Chloe Grace Moretz. She plays Patricia Hingle. She's known for her works in the films Kick-Ass, Let Me In, Carrie, that was the remake, and The Fifth Wave. Next actress I have is Angela Inkler. She plays the role of Miss Tanner. You might be familiar with her works in The Last Honor of Katharina Bloom. She was in The Tin Drum and a film I actually own, Benny's Video, which is a really good film. I was like, man, I have to mention that because we're bound to hit on one of those guys' films. Michael Haneke, that is. Okay. 
All right, next actress I have is Elena Fokini. She plays the role of Olga in the film. She's known for her works in the films Blush and Hereafter. Next actress I have is Fabrizia Saki. She plays the role of Pavla. She was in the films Paz and A Five Star Life. Next actress I have is Ingrid Kaven. She plays the role of Miss Vandegast in the film. You might know her for her works in Ludwig, Requiem for a Virgin King, Satan's Brew, and the film Looping. Next character I have is Miss Griffith. She's played by Sylvie Tusted. She was in the films Murderous Maids, Fear and Trembling, and Le Vie en Rose. Really good film. Ooh. It's about Edith PF. Highly recommend it. Marion Cotillard. All right, I have a few other actresses. One of them is Alec Weck. She plays Miss Milius. She was in the films The Four Feathers. She was in the film Target as Lily Pulitzer. And if I'm not mistaken, she is a runway fashion model as well. All right, I've got a few others. I have Molgrazata Bella. She plays Susie's mother, and she has a dual role, which I'll mention a little bit later. She was in such films as Stranger, Carol, A Man Who Became a Pope, and We're All Christs. I just saw her second role, and I had no idea. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, that's why I didn't want to mention it. All right, two other actresses I have are Renee Sodendijk. She plays Miss Huller. She was in the films Private Resistance, Eve of Destruction, and A Perfect Man. And the last actress I have, she has a cameo because oh. she was in the original, mm-hmm. and that is Jessica Harper. She plays the role of Anki. And because I have mentioned that she was in the 1977 Suspiria, you can go back, listen to our episode. We give a little bit more in-depth filmography on her, but yeah, that pretty much runs out the cast. It's okay, because in this movie, she's in it for all of three minutes. Yeah, like I said, just a cameo, but you know, a cameo nonetheless. So yeah, cast and crew, we gave you a synopsis and taglines. we got to give you some warnings in this film. Oh shit, warnings. There is some gore, some pretty gnarly gore. There's some pretty gnarly gore, there's some pretty gnarly body horror. Oh yeah. It does absolutely involve witchcraft. It's not like straight out like summoning Satan type witchcraft. So if you're like averse to that type of iconography, you're not necessarily going to get it. But towards the end, it gets pretty fucking close. Yes, it does. (laughs) God, what else? Yeah, like I said, the body horror is the big crazy scene, I think, that would put yeah, most people off moment. pretty early. A little bit of language yeah, and some nudity, especially when you get to the really witchy moments. Exactly. But yeah, aside from that, I mean, if you're averse to kind of slow burn, like, so we mentioned that this is if a you're two averse and a half to two and a half hour movies, <laughs> this does have subtitles because there's bits of French, bits of German in the film. I mean, hence, you know, the backdrop is in Berlin. I don't know, it's in six acts, so if you don't like films that break it down in acts, in an epilogue. Yeah. It's a yeah six-act structure with epilogue. Yeah. I was trying to see if it followed six-act stru- I don't know anything about six-act structure, and I actually like looked up a graphic and tried to follow this movie along with this other person's breakdown of six-act structure. I think it follows it? I have fucking no clue. Yeah, There's I too many things to you. pay attention to. But, I mean, aside from that, I mean, it's nothing out of the ordinary that we've covered. It's nothing too extreme. I mean, it's very art housey too. So if you're not really into art house kind of films, you'll probably be tuned out to this one. But, I mean, if you enjoy all the not above. Not quite in the same way as some of the other art Yeah, no, but I mean, there's elements, of course. Yeah. But yeah, There's elements, especially like the dream sequences. But Yeah, exactly. And I think, too, if you're a huge fan of Argento's, you might be a little averse to this one. Even though, like I said, I'm a huge fan, I still like this one a lot. 
I think it boils down to the mindset you have going into it. Absolutely. This is not a remake no, of Suspiria. No, it's a remake of Suspiria, right. but it is not a remake of it, Suspiria. Yeah, don't expect the same kind of color palettes and things of that nature. So aside from all of that, if you are more inclined to these types of films and you like kind of the subject matter we talked about, this is going to be right up your alley. Yeah, if you, if you like films that, from the outside looking in, seem like they could just be, like, pandering to, like, an awards audience, <laughs> this is it all over. This looks like an awards movie. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Cool. I think with that, we'll get a save in, and I'm surprised our guest isn't here already. I might have to fucking text her or something. But we'll see what's going on. And fucking find out how made us squeal, I guess. <laughs> to, you know, label our segments. How does that make you squeal? Yeah. So welcome once again back into the studio to Quincy, our test your fright champion. Have you just been basking in this this entire time? Well, yeah. Even if I did win by rock paper scissors, but still, you still won. Wins a win. That's wins true. Win. Yes, I do have the trophy. No one else does. So that's right. No. That. Do you just like look at the trophy sometimes? I was looking at it today. I was like, oh yeah. It might be more poignant today considering it is a mirror as well. Yes. So there's that. There is that. We might have put a hex on it. Who knows? <laughs> so I guess if you all want to hear more of Quincy's history with horror, you can go back through our Test Your Fright episodes and the fucking torture that we put her through. Jeez. And that she fucking endured, and I still feel kind of bad thinking back to your face after some of that shit. But when we were shell shocked in here, and when Dylan was happy and peachy keen about life and the world because he tapped out. Oh man, he made the right decision. He did. He made a, a life choice, yeah. and uh, I don't think he regrets it either. No. After talking to him about it, so yeah, the looks on your and Haley's face after he had left the room. And I was like, I'm glad I'm the witness for this. Because <laughs> it, was, it was awkward, but it was fun. You ladies made it through. I don't know if that's a, a win within itself, but... Speaking of faces, we should probably show this movie to Haley and just have like oh something recording during that last 30 minutes, but... Yes. So our first experiences with this movie are documented because we did a reaction episode after we went and watched it for the first time at the Roxy. But how did your first viewing of this go? I know that you first split it up into two, because we did talk about it a little bit. Yeah. I only split it into two because I had to, like, go to bed and write papers the next day. But I liked it a lot, and I couldn't stop thinking about it after I had, like, after the split. And I remember I saw you at work and tried to talk to you about it, but couldn't. And then I was, like, shook for days after. Yeah, I know. You got to learn the, the hardest part of this for me and Danny is that we don't get to talk for, like, half a week. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was rough. Aside from Mondays, we see each other briefly throughout the week. And but we have to keep our fucking lips closed because we're like, gotta see it. <laughs> it's got to be on. It's got to be on mic. It's got to be on mic. Yeah, exactly. So we're very vague about whatever films we're reviewing throughout the week. You're right. It's reserved for the episode. So. We'll be like, hey, it has a scary part. Yeah, it's like, ooh, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about that part of the film. <laughs> yeah, so it's fun. But yeah, our first viewing of Suspirio was at the Roxy and one of the things about seeing it at the Roxy was the theater that was adjacent to us had let out in the middle of our viewing and the end credits for that film had some hokey country music 
so there was like a conversation in the film that I could not. Do you focus remember on. what conversation it was? Because I was I trying to was, remember. It was between Tilda Swinton and Dakota Johnson. I can't remember exactly what the conversation was about. Oh no, I know exactly what part it was. Yeah. Because I didn't catch it till I watched it last night, and I was like, "Where the fuck did this part of the movie come from? I don't remember this happening oh. at all." And that must have been when we heard the fucking. Oh, it was like freedom, yeah. free. That's basically what it was. Which part was it? Um, when she was describing how she thinks that that must be what it feels like. To oh fuck. yeah. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah, because it was like fuck a man. You know, yeah. You're watching it with other people, and for the most part, you know, during films and stuff, you're you're trying to be respectful. And I was like on the brink of laughter, and oh, I was like, if God. I do that, people are gonna think I'm some kind of weirdo. Or some kind of drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Which, to their credit, I was a little bit, but um, yeah. I mean, but still, it was like whatever. this. It totally took me out of the scene, and so it was hard to, to focus on certain parts of the film. Whereas this time through, and then the second time through for note taking. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, I miss so much things that I didn't get out of the theater experience. On the flip side, though, the theater experience made the tension during like the dance scenes oh, and during yeah. the end scene yeah. almost like palpable oh no doubt no yeah i'm not saying that it was a bad experience it was just i couldn't focus as much as i would perhaps no some of the details absolutely yeah we're we're lost on me so some of the way that you miss on those conversations it was hard for me to kind of go back and try to fill in the blanks that this is a big long dense movie i don't know quincy what do you think (laughs) say something about it say your first thing you want to talk about it for it because it doesn't matter how we hit it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What was like maybe your initial impression after your first viewing of it? Mm, I had a lot of questions about the mythology of it. That's what I was really interested in. And I guess the first thing that struck me when I watched it was the way the camera moves around the scene. And how, like when Patricia goes to the psychiatrist, the camera doesn't really focus on her so much. It focuses on like the texture of the floor or a couch or something, but it's really steady on him, and that was interesting, and the way it kind of, like, flips between people and mirrors, which was really intriguing. I liked it a lot, and then tried to research stuff about it afterward, but wasn't very satisfied with what I found. Understandable, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So, I don't know how much history you know about the film, and the reasons why Luca decided he wanted to do his reimagining of the film. So, Tyler and I talked about the fact that we reviewed Dario Argento's 1977 Suspiria. And he and his partner at the time, Dario Nicolotti, they based it a little bit off of their upbringing with kind of like the grim fairy tales and things of that nature. They shot primarily like in these very technicolor yeah. color schemes and palettes because they wanted a model after like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and some other Walt Disney films. So the film itself, the original, some of the narrative is lost because it doesn't really focus on that part until like the very, very end. You really don't know it's a, a witch coven or yeah. a haven for a witch coven until the end. I read the Wikipedia and it looks like Susie plays a different role in that too, which is interesting. It's damn near a completely original. different movie. Exactly. And so that's why it's hard to it's, say this is a remake. I mean, it, it is in a sense, but it's more of a reimagining yeah. yeah, because of the backdrops and the way the characters interact and... The fact that this film is upfront about the fact that this is, you know, a witch coven. Yeah, and doesn't do the color saturation until the very end. Yeah. And then I guess one scene where Tilda's like sending dreams to Susie. Oh yeah, kind of about midway through. Yeah. 
that was something that I really liked about the fact that they weren't trying to recreate certain atmospheres or color schemes. And even the soundtrack is completely different. Mm-hmm. So Goblin scored the original, and they're more like a synthy kind of prog rock, whereas Tom York's is a little bit more piano ballad and melancholic, mm-hmm. you know. So there was a contrast there, and you've already mentioned the fact that this had more of like a gray tone, kind of bleak. We mentioned the fact that it's uh, the backdrop is Berlin in 1970s. It's kind of post uh, World War II, so there, it's very in, kind of like an industrial feel in yeah. a sense. So you guys keep bringing up the use of mirrors, both of you. Which I mean, there is a bunch of doubling and mirroring in this movie, but I think maybe not as obvious because you mostly get the story from one side of it. But to go along with the doubling, they set it in a city that's literally cut in half. Yeah. Yeah, the the walls in Berlin. Now, the interesting thing, too, is part of the reason they use Berlin as opposed to, like, in the original, it's the backdrop is Freiburg, and it's in the Black Forest, is the German autumn. It had to do with the fact that there were a lot of former Nazi party members that were in the German government. And, I mean, they talk about the fact that the RAF and Bader Mainhof was, like, this ultra-left-wing group and they were opposed to like the nationalism and just the power structure within Germany which also translates back to the power structure within the divide with Madame Blanc yeah. and Marco so you know they're kind of juxtaposing both of those things on top yeah. of each other so it makes it a little bit more poignant even though you necessarily didn't need the backdrop but it's still a kind of a, a neat touch to it I suppose mm-hmm. So what stuck out to me, because I know fucking next to nothing about Vader Meinhof and the German Autumn, and I tried looking up some of it, and I was looking at it, and I mostly just started like laughing because, oh God, what was it, the People's Liberation Front for Palestine helped the RAF in some of it, and I just kept thinking of uh, Life of Brian and People's <laughs> Liberation Front of Judea. And That's funny, yeah. The people's, the Judean People's Liberation Front and all that shit, and, I can't remember. I just started cracking up. And I have a problem where when I think RAF, I don't think Red Army Faction. I think Royal Air Force. Yeah, yeah. yeah British Royal Air Force. That's yeah, but when I first watched it, I was like, what? Right? I, I was like, a bit later. oh, so there is a scene in the movie where I can't, I think it's Sarah just sort of turns to Susie and's like, you just don't understand how like important all this is, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, she's speaking directly to me right now because I have no idea what the fuck's yeah, going on same. with this bullshit. Yeah, exactly. I mean... <laughs> The only reason I know that stuff is because of research. Like, aside from that, I don't really know a whole heck of a lot of German politics, you know. But I thought it was kind of neat. I mean, it is kind of a unique touch I'm, to throw that in yeah. the film. I'm curious how how left was Bader Meinhof? They said it was like extreme left to the point of like this political revolution, you know, within Germany, because they didn't identify with that kind of Nazi nationalism and the fact that they're still carrying it over. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like. And that's kind of the part of the guilt and the shame theme in this film, too, mm-hmm. is, you know, you're carrying, like, certain aspects of that with you. What did you guys make of Susie erasing Joseph's memories at the end? I didn't know some of how my... I thought, how I felt about that, I guess. Uh, yeah, the first time through, like, in the theater, it was hard for me to read exactly what she... What I mean, she aside that, you know, she's, like, cleaning his memory. But from what I gathered this next time through was he was a witness, of course, to her becoming the mother. Yeah. That wasn't the initial purpose that the mothers had for him. It was kind of like, the way too is like, you have matriarchal society within the coven, right? Everything aside from that is like, you have to have a man to almost vindicate certain uh, structures for women, you know? It, It doesn't give it any credence unless a man says so. So that's why they needed a male witness. 
But they talked about having they talked about having a female witness, and the only reason they didn't go with one was because they already had one picked out. Yeah. Yeah, and they also didn't want to like destroy the minds of any of their girls. Yeah. Which is they didn't care about him. His mind wipe at the end is still the part that I bump up against the most. Yeah. Because it really kind of seems to invalidate some of the other shit that comes before mm-hmm. it. To a certain extent, I feel like the mind wipe is partially, I don't know, maybe she needs to do it for the coven's safety in yeah. a way. I think in the same manner, when you go back through it, there's two witches that voted for Marcos that survive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, I think it's because they're needed for the hierarchy, absolutely. for the structure, and it's something that's recognized. And I kind of I have my own feelings about at least because uh, Tanner's one of those. And I yeah. kind of feel like through the movie, I'm going to go off on its own little tangent, but I do kind of feel like through the movie, Tanner, even though she voted for Marcos, shows herself to believe in Susie. Yeah. And that might be what saved her. Yeah. If that makes I mean, sense. Susie isn't a mother superior. Mm-hmm. Does have empathy to an extent. To an extent. You know, she can show that, but she can also show, you know, like being unmerciful as well. Yeah. Uh, but I just I, so, I felt like there was there was mirroring between characters too. Like the one that I had the hardest time with the first time watching it was the kind of like the squirrely, quiet mother, the one who offs herself. Yeah. I was, I was kinda of wondering what her purpose was. Yeah, and then watching same. it back through and thinking about the fact that with the three mothers, each one represents something different. Mm-hmm. Like Mother Sisperiorum is the mother of size, Mother Tenebra, Tenebrarum is the mother of darkness. And Mother Lacarium is the mother of tears, right? And and then there's like they're doing all of that. Like there there are tears. So like she weeps, Olga weeps, Sarah weeps, Susie weeps. So there's a little bit of elements of that. But I also felt like she was a witness to what was going on, and she was kind of stuck in the middle. Yeah. And I feel like maybe that's what Miss Tanner's role was now at the end of the film. It's like she's kind of mirroring what perhaps that particular mother was. As in she. Oh man, we're getting way far away from where we started with with the bumping up against the mind wipe. But I do want to go on this though, because my second time through this morning, because that character is also really strange to me. To me, she was. I mean, obviously she's an empath. She's pulling emotions from everybody. She's yeah. feeling it all. But more than that, she almost seems to be not just a mirror, but a focusing mirror, where she's accidentally like catching all of this from the room. Because of her position, she knows how it's connected, and even without meaning to, like for instance, I think it's partially because of her, on accident, that what happens to Olga happens to Olga. Yeah. And she's taking everything from all of the room and channeling it down into Olga. She's a focusing mirror rather than a normal mirror. I felt like that could have been perhaps too, like with Sarah, before she gets kind of fucked up in her scenes. There is a lot of going on, like these quick cuts between characters, mm-hmm. and I felt like at one point there was almost a transference because transference is used in this film, you know, transferring memories, transferring energy, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So I felt like that there was some of that too. To what extent, I, you know, it's hard to tell exactly. But well, if we go back to the very beginning of the movie, Chloe Grace Moretz spells out a lot of shit. Yeah, she does. She and beyond can... that, my fucking note taking this morning took like four hours. Oh, dude. Because I, I paused on every page of her journal, and it it actually spe- it spells out a lot more shit. All of it, oh, yeah. Including, and this was the mind blower for me, and made me think about this movie a lot differently. 
Patricia knew Susie was coming. Susie hadn't appeared yet, but Susie's name appears in all of her diagrams about when they were getting like set up for the dance and stuff. Because the setup that they use for Volk and like the design on the ground and yeah, stuff, that was how Susie mapped out the hierarchy within the organization. And in the dance, Susie took Madame Blanc's spot in the hierarchy within the dance. But the four corners that were supporting it were Susie, Olga, Sarah, and Patricia. That's pretty neat, yeah. Which are the four most important of the girls. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> each one were kind of set up to Mother Margos take their, their bodies, the transference of Mother Suspiriorum, I suppose, but... Yeah. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. But you're right, she does spell a lot of things out. That's something I noticed right off the bat, too, is she was putting down mirrors, she was, like, putting down picture frames and stuff like that, so she knew that she was being watched. And uh, she talks about, you know, they collect her hair and her urine. I was like, yeah... Mm -hmm. They're controlling her, and they know what she's up to. Well, and the other thing, and it ties back in later to the movie in a big way, she mentions that they took her eyes, Yeah. and okay. now they can see what she sees. Yeah. yeah. Sarah was the one investigating, and basically found out the underbelly of everything that was going on. I mean, obviously when she finds like Patricia and stuff, but... She was the one that sort of became the, not necessarily the believer, but the disbeliever in Marcos. And then during Volk, Susie gains her eyes. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. I had that written down. And they don't really make it clear when it happens, especially because there's a little bit right before Volk where there's some parts in the dressing room. This is the other reason why it took me four hours to take my fucking notes, because I, I was just like, when does this happen? And... There are some scenes in the dressing room where arguably her eyes are already brown, but definitely in no scenes before that. Her eyes are always blue up until then. Yeah. But if she gains Sarah's eyes, then it basically just means one of the witches behind the scenes fucked up because she didn't realize what Sarah had seen and what that would mean to her. Exactly. Yeah, yeah even too with her like coming back out and then going underneath Susie as well, it was almost... Kind a of a birth? slight, yeah. I mean, it was a birth, but I felt like maybe like so. One of the witches still felt like she was the one who was going to have the transference as opposed to Susie. Like she didn't know Susie was the one set up for it, perhaps. Yeah, I wish I had an easier time remembering who was on whose side because I think it would make some of those glances to some of the witches around the rooms during those scenes make a little bit more sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did, did you guys catch that there was a third candidate too, aside from Blanc and Marcos? There was Marcus. Yes. Oh, Marcus. <laughs> yeah. Who's Marcus? <laughs> Wait, Marcus? Yeah. It's Marcus well, and, well, not only that, one of them says Marcus, which made me fucking giggle. Yeah. But one of them's name is Marks. Yeah. yeah. Marks? Marcus. <laughs> she was confused. She was totally confused. I just thought it was funny, too. The other thing, though, from Patricia's diary that I found super interesting is that it does sort of foreshadow the very end of the movie. Because if you actually get a chance to stop it, what does it say here? Did I write this down in a way that I can read it? What stands out, even when you don't pause it, is you see all three names of the mothers written out in big block letters. Mm -hmm. If you actually pause it on that scene, 
she says something above it is about, you know, the three great mothers since the beginning of time, the same shit that you hear the doctor say later, and then lists them all off. And then underneath she says, and one who's kind of the same, but apart from them, Mother Marcos. Yeah. Which means she's not one of them from the get-go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what's completely different about this film, too, because... Helena Marcos was yes. Suspiriorum. Right, right. Which is interesting, too, because she was a Greek migrant, and she was kicked out or expelled from a lot of countries <laughs> until she finally like settled in Germany, formed the Tons Dance Academy, mm-hmm. and faked her own death in a fire. So that's part of her kind of grossness. But in Argento's films, all the way to The Mother of Tears, it kind of spells it more out, where there was a white witch. I think her name was like Lisa. Anyway... They had a battle, she got killed, but she had disfigured or like weakened Helena Marcos to the point where she took on the hag-like features that you see in Argento's Suspiria. So I felt like because Luca Guadagnino was a huge fan of Argento's, like he said he saw it when he was 10 and just like fell in love with it. But I feel like that's probably why she kept those hag-like features. I mean, aside from the fact that she needed a new body, but Mm -hmm. I was like, I think there's a little bit more to it along the kind of the mythology, the story, and the character. But, yeah, taking her out of the role of Mother Suspirium changes this completely from uh, Argento's. Just to finish off the last note I have from her books, because I just found it really neat, was one of the other things that was spelled out was that there was three parts of the dance that bring it to life, and that's strength, time, and space. Yeah. All of which we end up seeing. And then you have a bunch of, like, diagrams. Basically... It was a spell book for parts of the journal. Although it's really funny because it was extreme. I don't know who the fuck put together the journal. It was extremely well done because parts of it were just like notations on like translation. So she knew that this word meant this word. Yeah. And then it was done like an actual journal. So parts of it were just her falling more in with the RAF. Uh But the spelling out the strength, time, and space and then going right into some of the diagrams was super fucking cool because you're like, oh shit. And then you can literally follow like the movement she's doing with her hands across the different planes and absolutely yeah they're playing a lot with space time like you were saying energy mm-hmm. triplets i mean this this movie's heavily influenced by the occult which i thought was really interesting too doing a little bit more research to us finding out things about like the poster of the film there's one with Susie's character you know she's got face paint and all that mm-hmm. stuff but she's she's got like multiple hands holding different heads so a lot of that mm-hmm. goes back to like a Kali god. Some of it goes back to Shiva. There's even god of the dance that it represents using like what they call. Uh, there's I'll look at it here in a second. But there's two different types of dance. One's more vigorous. One's more of a gentle. But when they combine, it creates the birth and rebirth. So it's like you have to destroy in order to rebuild. So that's another theme with the rebirth and the fact that they're using all this imagery that ties back into Hinduism, which mm-hmm. is based on more of a, like a goddess worship, which a lot of this stuff goes back to mother worshiping, which predates a lot of patriarchal religions. So that's another, I think, motif in this film too, which is really neat. Oh, yeah. We touched on it earlier, but I think the real question this movie brings up is that if dancing a certain way made you imagine that that must be what it's like to fuck an animal, would you continue <laughs> dancing that way? <laughs> I mean, each their own, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think Maybe. that would. Dancing was really visually striking, too, and it was interesting how they used, like, breath as oh, yeah. a big part of it. Yeah. 
Which I think too kind of lends its hand to like the sighing aspect, the breathing yeah. aspect of the film, because that's a reframe with all these different characters. Yeah, and, like the rattling of Susie's like Mennonite mother's dying breaths, and yeah. then like Mother Suspiriorum. Or no, Helena Marcos and her like nasty, raspy breathing. Absolutely. Even something I caught, and I think I maybe even mentioned it to you, was there was a little bit of foreshadowing too with Susie when she first arrives at the academy. And you see, like, there's a poster behind her for, I think, Volk, Natan's Academy from, like, the 60s. Mm-hmm. But she's kind of, like, rubbing her chest, mm-hmm. and it's kind mm-hmm. of foreshadowing the fact that she has the sacred heart. And then there's a pulsating she has, too, at the dinner scene where she's on one end of the table, and she's looking at Tilda's character. And you can Wait, see her so blouse kind of reverberate so a little bit, too. Sacred heart or Cthulhu's chest vagina? It could be that, too. <laughs> But I think they're mixing a little bit of like Christian iconography too with this. I mean, there's anointing of oils. There's kind of a uh, messianic kind of prophecy being fulfilled. Yeah. You know, like I said, there's iconography of the Sacred Heart with the Virgin Mary and all that stuff too. Yeah. So. And the fact too that Luca and Argento were both Italian, and Roman Catholicism is the major religion there. So yeah. They're shrouded in that stuff, and uh, I think we mentioned too. Like I can't remember if it's. Rome, or it's, a, it's a certain, maybe it's Turin, I think it's Turin, Italy, has the largest group of Satan worshippers in the world. Really? Yeah. So you have all this mix of clashing thoughts and, you know, mm-hmm. ideologies, which is really interesting, too. So uh, a neat little bit of mirroring in the movie I noticed, because I don't think it's supposed to be the same guy, obviously, <laughs> but right at the very beginning, when the doctor's in with Chloe Grace... Mm-hmm. who I wish was in this movie more. I thought she was fantastic in, like, the five minutes she was in it. Yeah, I didn't realize she was really in it until I read the credits. I was like, shit, where was she? Yeah, she was fantastic. Patricia for five minutes. <laughs> when she first comes in, she's like, oh, I got a client coming in five minutes. Whatever, I'll tell him to go. Yeah. But then she's out anyway. Brings in the client, says his name once. Is it Burger or something like that? Which is the name of the colonel... That ordered his wife to stand out. Oh, shit. Damn, that's a big reveal. I didn't catch that. That's really cool. Damn. Right? That's weird. I mean, that's kind of interesting because, all right, knowing that, right, and knowing that she wipes his mind at the end, if he goes back to those journals, he's going to relearn all that stuff perhaps too or... I don't know. That's kind of interesting. No, he threw out the journals. Oh, that's a good point too. Yeah, he did. He dumped them shits. I think that's probably why they were queuing at the bag at the beginning of the film too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Wow. That's a mind fuck. <laughs> yeah, that was... I was just like, wait, shit. Did you just say Burger? Because I just watched the movie. I was like, I know yeah. Bur- Burger was the name of the fucking asshole that... Wow. Yeah, this film is layered. There's, yeah, I like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, at what point is she Suspiriorum? What are your guys' thoughts? Right. <sighs> was she always Suspiriorum? Does she become Suspiriorum? I, I have Suspiriorum. kind of a little bit of an idea, but... I have kind of mixed ideas, I suppose. So I feel like whether she knew or not, there was something already reverberating, like yeah. resounding in her. Her, to her mother knew, or at least admitted that she was this smear on the earth. Yeah. And there's already anointing, and she brings that up to Marcos, who anointed you. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was like her mother knew, you know, or made a pact. Who knows? Yeah, I had questions there's, about. There's some alluding to it, but she always had this pull to Berlin. Yeah. And. Knowing the fact that she already had a connection with Blanc, mm-hmm. you know, an indirect connection, 
in the pool and the fact that she's already like boom she's front and center as soon as she arrives it's like it's no coincidence yeah it just took her a little while maybe to piece together what was going on and yeah having all the influences of all the thoughts and ideas she finally pieced it who knows but i feel like yeah it, it, innately she was but to what extent did she know yeah i don't know she didn't i don't think she knew until the yeah. dream sequence where she screamed i know who i am Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a big tell. Yeah. I think even then she knows what she's slated for, but I don't think she's even full on Suspiriorum then. Yeah. I think right before she enters the room when she's following the light and it's sort of, she catches up to it. Yeah. I don't think she's actually full on Suspiriorum till that moment. Yeah. Because she has to take that that final step. Yeah. Yeah. And I even think the act itself when it says uh, Suspiriorum, Suspiriorum, I think that gives you the clue that now she's fully inhabited that mother role. Because I think that towards the opening, with the super, super telling shot on the fucking embroidery, the a mother is a woman who can take the place of all others, yeah. but whose place no one else can yeah, take. So obviously, like, Marcos can't take the spot of a mother. I do feel like she was doing something to hamper Suspiriorum coming back, though. Whether they spell it out or not, it sort of felt to me like Marcos declining was part of the reason for Suspiriorum to come back because of whatever fucking magic that Marcos was doing, which, who knows, obviously she's working some sort of shit because she could damn near take off Tilda Swinton's head, so. Yeah, no, right? <clears throat> and so I kind of feel like she's drawn to it, but if something would have happened last second, there's always a backup plan. Like, if somehow Marcos would have gained that power instead, it would have just meant that Marcos was in power for a little bit longer, and it wouldn't have been Susie anymore, but some other yeah, girl exactly. would have come up to take the place. Do you think place. Marcos was actually Suspiriorum at any point then? I don't think she was ever actually Suspiriorum, but I think she had some way of, like, tapping into that. Maybe. Even if it was just based on, like, some sort of faith, because obviously some of the members of the Coven no longer were following the true way. Yeah. Even if that way necessarily wasn't spelled out, it should have been obvious that Marcos was just making a power grab. Yeah. Well, and I thought it was interesting when she, Marcos wanted Susie to, like, become the vessel, she tells her that she has to forsake her false mother Hmm. in order to absorb the power. But then, like, Marcos is the false mother because she's not really Suspiriorum Mm -hmm. at all. In that last little bit, I was like, what the fuck? Why is Marcos being so fucking, like, mocking of her? Yeah. Like, you need her to be a willing vessel right now. Like, don't be a shitheel to her at the last second. She's so thirsty for that bod, though. Like, that's gonna be mine. I mean, I'd be thirsty for that bod, too. Yeah, especially if you were in the sort of state that Marcos was in. Yeah, well, I mean, now you can see why Miss Tanner and the rest put her in that closet. It's like, no one wants to see that in public. Mm -mm. (laughs) Mm-mm. So, but yeah, you know, that's the thing that changes the dynamic of the mythology too, is the fact that in Argento's, and even there was a guy who wrote about like the stuff that he had learned from taking opium. Thomas De Quincey? Yeah. So he had imagined. Did you end up reading that? You told me you had it open in a tab. Yeah, I skimmed it this morning. I should have taken better notes on the part about Suspiriorum in particular. I wish I would have had time to reread it. She was known as the most powerful of all the mothers. Yeah. She, she represented, I think, uh, what was it, like, the blackness or the black queen. So, you know, in that March power of the black queen, like the queen song? <laughs> yeah. So in the power structure, you know, she was above the other two mothers. But together, all three of them, they personified death. So I think that's 
Yeah. Or the death, or the shadow of the and death. Also, yeah, like... I think the essay is, like, Lavana and Our Lady of the Sorrows, and it was, like, a goddess of childbirth that was connected with these three goddesses of death and sorrow also, which was interesting in the essay. I guess I'll have to think about more when I reread it. Yeah, that's, it, it is really interesting, like... He talks about the triplets too, mm-hmm. like the, the three reapers, the reapers, and the three mothers, the sorrows, the fates, etc. So they're still playing on that esotericism yeah. uh, thing there. But yeah, the thing I was going to say with this film that changes the dynamic is the fact that Marcos was never Suspirian. Yeah. So that changes a lot of things, which I'm kind of curious about. They've talked about the fact that there's a possibility of a, of a prequel that ties in like what happened around the 11th century when they were starting to, to have that power dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious about that. And then what it means, too, for, like, Susie becoming Mother Suspiria. Yeah. So, yeah. And like I said, it completely changes the whole narrative of what Argento played out in his trilogy. Even if they never explore those stories, I want to know more about the other mothers now, too. Mm-hmm. And power dynamics yeah. playing yeah. out around them and their returns. It kind of seems like none of them are in the world right now. That's kind of the feeling I got. Otherwise, it seems like there would be somebody the coven could turn to to find out who Suspiriorum is. I know what you mean. So that's kind of what it does by changing the mythology is each one of the three are located in different cities around the world. I think the other one is, it might be in, in Turin. And that, I want to say one is like... New York, right? Yeah, yeah, the other one's in New York. So it changes those dynamics too. It's, you know, each one represents something different. They each interact with people differently. You know, they go about, I guess, whatever they're doing differently. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's why it makes me wonder which side of the aisle are going to jump on with this. Another little detail I noticed, but I wished I could keep all the mothers, or, yeah, all the witches straight, basically, yes. is when Susie first gets there and basically looks at, like, the picture staff directory, mm-hmm. they're split underneath oh, Marcos yeah. and Blanc. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, did they vote according to these pictures? Did they vote party lines? Like, <laughs> it's yeah, cataloging the party lines. That's funny. But I couldn't keep them all straight enough to be like, I don't uh, know. There's yeah. too many of you bitches. There is. There's, <laughs> there's a few. I mean, Miss Canner stands out. I think Miss uh, Vandergast is the older redhead mm-hmm. lady. She stood out. Like, so is the, that the, the one well, with the like big glasses and the crazy hair? But all three of yeah. them that fuck with a police officer stand out, basically. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That, that was, was a great scene. That was so Just, good. This movie brought like one of my nightmares to life of just being like in a room surrounded by women laughing at my dick. <laughs> yeah, that's uh unable to do anything about it. <laughs> With a silver like rib hook too. Just like, yo. Uh, yeah, I like I thought that scene was great. Did either one of you research anything about the the actual like the sickle itself or No. The blade? I wanted to and then I was trying to figure out like what rib would that be? Obviously, none of them are going to be that like curved, that extreme. No. But, like, so here's what I was talking seven. about with Hinduism and the use of like the gods. So I kind of thought I wanted one, and then I realized I'd probably hurt myself with it. So <laughs> these things are pretty mean, but uh, it goes back to Kali, right? It says with the sickle-shaped sword with Kali, it represents time, which time is okay. a big function of yes. the film. It also represents like the waxing and waning of the moon. It ties back into like moon goddess worshiping and the fact that we derive our calendar based off of the waxing and waning of the moon and whatnot. Even the name Kali itself means time in Sanskrit. 
But not only that, I think they used that too to represent, you know, the fact that they were using it for collecting or harvesting internal organs, which they were doing with Olga and Sarah mm -hmm. and Patricia. So when Olga's all mangled, you know, they sink their hooks in. But she also makes sure to, to mention, you know, don't damage her. She's still viable. So they're still using that for yeah. ritualistic purposes as well. But I think just using symbolism throughout the film, even though it's different, with like this, the use of the color for Susie's face. Mm -hmm. It's like I had no idea that tied back into like Shiva and all these other aspects of why they're using it and the fact that the clothing too represents rebirth and it's called shibari, which is tie binding in Japan. But some of the motion and stuff represents blood trickling and just the whole mother goddess kind of aspect of pre-religion, I suppose. So they paid a lot of attention to detail in that aspect of the film too. So it just maybe further the fact that they're using magic and dance and rhythm and time and space and interweaving it with all these aspects of the film. So bouncing off of your mention of the symbolism, what did you guys make of the second full-on dream sequence? Because the first one was obviously like her getting caught fucking double-clicking the mouse. <laughs> yeah. Even I've if never it, heard that one before. Even, even if it was shown a little bit disparately and, and with some weird shit cut in between, like it kind of made sense. The second one was a bit more off the rails. And I felt like it was kind of foreshadowing shit, but it was kind of weird with yeah. like the gagged. I mean, the gagged guy, I guess, could be the doctor, but there was a whole bunch of shit going on in that second. There, yeah. there was definitely some like sexuality things going on there, too. And so it made me wonder too much. Some of this stuff is like repressed. Yeah, because Susie's dance does get more sexual the longer she's at you the know, academy. There's also like, looks like bloodletting. Yep. Almost like self harm. Yep. You know, one of the themes is like guilt and shame and stuff. So it made me wonder too how much of it perhaps could be shame from the other mothers that they're repressing, but they also express in the dream states because they do have telekinesis. So that's kind of a little bit what I gathered, but it is some of that stuff is super vague and quick cut. It's hard to tell yeah. exactly what the hell is going on and who shit. It was super cool. It was yeah. super cool. I was like, that could be that last part with like the doll. Yeah. I was like, Oh, that's some, that's some Stanley Kubrick shit right yeah. there. <laughs> that's what the chick saw in martyrs. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh man. That's that's what you get for that's the afterlife. Exactly. That's all the afterlife is is that on repeat. You're like, fuck. Yeah, I know, right? Damn. You're right because it does it switches things around cuz the first one's a little bit more on the nose and this one's a little bit more vague. Mm -hmm. I think it does foreshadow some things. Like so there's some hidden messages in it. Who do you guys feel was right in the jump bit? When uh, Susie wants to stay on the ground, and she actually oh, okay, has a yeah. lot of good reasons for it. But no, then I Tilda also has a lot of good reasons for why not to. Especially since it turns out that Susie maybe isn't yet, but is Mother Suspiriorum. Yeah, I was wondering if her connection to the ground had something to do with Suspiriorum, but I couldn't decide. That's a good point. Yeah. I don't think either one were wrong or right significantly, yeah. more so than the other. For Tilda... Modern Blanc. I can understand what you meant, you know, because they are creating the space. And the space is needed to work the spells. Right, Because exactly. otherwise you're not hitting the right spaces. Right, 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 exactly. So, I mean, within that there's movement, there's vibrations that we can't see. I mean, there's all the synchronicity that needs to happen 
But I can understand once again with Susie too being tied down to the earth and because and the fact that she was more naturally yeah. feeling it, but she was kind of turning it into a different spell by doing that. Yeah, yeah. Is exactly. that what she did in the final dance when? Yeah. I was about to say. Okay. That has to be what she did because they spell it out right afterwards, and I'm really glad she did because in that conversation she has with Tilda right yeah. after, yeah. she's like, "I'm sorry for going off book." She's like, "You're kind of lucky because like that could have hurt, hurt anybody." Yeah, it yeah. didn't hurt any pe- anybody this time, but yeah, but like you very easily could have actually like warped things in a way that. Yeah, I mean, even yeah. her dancing <laughs> at the beginning with the rehearsals and stuff, she's you know all over the ground. Everything's connected back to the ground for mm-hmm. her. She doesn't feel comfortable in the air. Well, I mean, you completely understand that. But I think that too could be a part of like her taking that role over as a spirit one as well. But She's also dynamics. Yeah, definitely. Because there is the power shift back and forth between Blanc and Marcos, could the being drawn down to the floor simply be because Marcos is literally down below her? Yeah. It's like, yeah, 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 it's a precursor I can see that. And the point, too, that death is kind of reconnecting or mm-hmm. establishing that connection with her as well. And Blanc's like, no, I need you up here because I need you on my side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good point. Well, you know, that lends its hand, too, is why would there be a divide if there's a clear mother, right? Martha has always been the mother, apparently. Yeah. You know, we know that she's not, but in that but in coven. But in she is, yeah. Right, right. So why would there be a need for a divide? Or a split on who's going to take over. Is it just for the Academy or is it for the Coven itself, too? You know? Yeah, there's something that they all know intrinsically. It's not right. I guess I'm just asking a lot of questions and seeing if you guys have answers. But (laughs) what do you guys think? When she said she wanted to be the Coven's hands. Right, right. The group's hands. The fuck did she mean by that? I kind of feel like I get it maybe a little bit. Because at least the hands are the ones doing shit. Right. And if she ends up becoming the mother, then she's physically doing shit for the coven right. in a way but right. i think there's a lot more to it than that yeah there because that's just really yeah. stupid easy like i was stoned watching a movie how, how much you read in this it's it's entirely up to you but I, I noticed somebody had made a comment about certain gods and goddesses like raising certain hands in certain directions to like certain balance and power structure and thing like that i don't know how much you can read into that with her, her wanting to use her hands for for the balancing aspect of things because mm-hmm. there's no balance apparently in and out of the coven you know in the city things are divided inside it's divided so She's more like to, supposed to be like the nurturing hands it could be i mean you could see the scale of justice green or, thumb <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thumbs up thumbs down but i don't i don't know exactly the shocker yeah, <laughs> perhaps yeah maybe they don't spell it out and that's why it's it's kind of open their interpretation but that's kind of what i gathered from it. it's just Maybe it's a metaphor for, you know, like you said, she's wanting to be a little bit more in control of the things yeah. and there, there needs to be a balance. That's all I can gather from it. That picture frame was disgusting. I know. What do you think it was made of? <laughs> it had to have Placenta? been the hair, right? Oh, hair? hair. Well, the hair was part of it, but I don't know what the other part was. Oh, it could be, yeah, it could be flesh or... All sorts of stuff. That was organs. Gross. Yeah. Hair was definitely part yeah. of it. Because mm. they took the hair of all hair the girls. Hair and urine. Right, yeah. exactly. Maybe. And like so we've already established too that they can take your eyes, they can take your internal organs. Mm-hmm. All of it is spell binding. They took fucking Eight. what's her name's jumping. They yeah. did and gave it to Susie. Um, and that one Susie must have already had perfect hands. balance because they didn't need to give her perfect balance like they had to give Chloe right. Grace Moretz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we hear about that. I don't know, but you. Fucking you. 
Yeah. What? That picture frame was... Pretty gross. Grody. <laughs> and some of the other weird shit, the, the fucking... The boob mound fucking... Vagina in the middle. Yeah, vagina yeah. mouth sculpture. <laughs> I was reading too, like I didn't pay attention to it at the beginning, but the costume design, apparently there's like certain designs in some of the women's clothing. I think they said that in Vandergast, like one of her blouses, you can see like women jumping off of her shoulders and like around her neck. Someone's like they're projecting themselves off of her. As they said, they said there was Susie wears a blouse that looks like cherry blossoms, but if you zoom in, they're actually made of hip bones. Things like that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I said that Madame Blanc's, like one of her gowns, takes on like the shape of a woman forming into a tulip. So there's things intrinsically in their garments that take on more of like a womanly, feminine characteristic. It's kind of neat. But it's like, wow, there's some really there's fine so detail in this. For, yeah. I thought it was really bold of them to uh, take the head-exploding ending from the Kingsman. <laughs> yeah, we talked about it. That's funny. That's crazy. When we saw that in the theater, I was like, man, if anything is going to take anybody out of the film who's not used to this kind of you know subject matter, it's going to be that scene. But too fucking late at that point, because yeah, like, you're already two hours, 15 minutes in. If you can't handle head exploding, then yeah, it's you already stayed for the rest of the movie. Last or right next to last, because that is one of those, it's like, what, you know, what the fuck moments and what the hell is going on? Yeah. I... I fucking love that scene. I did too. I was like, that is what, to me, that's what Art House kind of is. Just something like off the rails bizarre, but like for those who can kind of read exactly what's going on, it's like, this is fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. This crazy Sabbath and the women are still dancing. They're still like, carrying out the ritual. And screaming. And then at the same time, yeah, like they're getting rid of that faction who sided with Marcos and they had the false mother. They were part of that corruption and power struggle. And now we have the balance. <laughs> like, yeah. This is awesome. This is crazy that the heads are exploding like that. Yeah. I mean, I guess I threw out my answers way, yeah. way earlier. But why do you guys think that two of the Marcos voters got spared? Tanner I mean, and one other one. I can't remember. But two of them got it, spared. It was Tanner and Vandergast. The lady who was singing to uh, Klemperer at the end. She okay. was singing like oh, the, yeah. you know, I guess the lullaby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you probably made a good point. It's like there still needs to be certain mothers in order to carry out certain functions in the coven. And I think, too, because they're not probably as, like, power-hungry or corrupt as perhaps some the other ones were. Like, some of them you could tell had more sinister motives. Yeah. Especially with Klemperer. Like, they fucked him up with Anka. Like, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, man, they're setting him up the whole time. Yeah. And they let out those witchy yells and screams and pulled him back I in. I had mixed feelings about that, I though. Like, oh, man. I liked it, but I was like, that is... Well, and when they said... Talk about I pity had, and delusions. Yeah, yeah, I had feelings about his guilt and him as a witness because, right, like, he could have saved Anka and then he didn't. And he could have helped Patricia and he didn't. And he right. could have helped Sarah when she broke her leg and was, like, trying to call out to him. And he didn't. And then they, like, scream at him and drag him in. And they say, when women tell you the truth, you don't have pity. You tell them they have delusions. Right, exactly. And that made it complex for me to sympathize with him, too. Yeah, I mean, you're right. He's does. not... You want to feel sympathetic because he can't find his wife. He doesn't know what it, happened to her, but... And has so much guilt and shame for that, exactly. too. Yeah. But he's always been a witness to, like, this corruption of power. Yeah. And he's never done anything about it. Mm -hmm. So... Really, he is a kind of perfect witness for what's going on. But on the flip side, too, I think that's probably part of the reason, too, why Susie does what she does at the end. She's like, we don't need your pity. He's like, you're not really the person in, with power. Yeah. You're just somebody who 
could have done something, but you didn't. So we don't need your pity. We need somebody who has power and corruption. And at least you feel bad. Yeah. I don't know. That's kind of what yeah, I, I mean, got yeah. for you. shame and guilt. Like, yeah. he actually has it. But we need them to feel what you're feeling yeah. in order for the dynamic to change. So, you know, in essence, I feel like that exchange that she had with him kind of spells out, like, everything leading up to that yeah. point with him. And what he does and how they feel about the power that men possess. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have more of a patriarchal society, this is what happens to us women. It takes forever for shit to happen, and you're just another cog in that wheel. Yeah, nobody believes you. Yep. You men have to validate us women when really we don't need your validation. That's how I felt. Yeah, I don't know. You know, well, you know what I know? Do you know what I know? Do you know what I... Yeah, I was about to say. You know what I know is that fucking Tilda Swinton knocked it out of the park in three fucking three roles characters. in this movie. yeah. We kind of knew, like, two of them. I didn't realize later on she played Marta Marcos. I thought she was the mousy witch that... I did, too. I thought she was the mousy witch, too. Yeah, but no, she yeah. was Marcos. Yeah, she was so hammy. gross. She was hammy, too, as Marcos. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, she fucking chewed the scene yeah, as Marcos. Yeah, she did. God damn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was awesome. That whole last scene might as well be from Mandy. Yeah, I agree. That was, she was gnarly. You know, I read somebody else's review, and I didn't pay attention to this, but upon watching it further, I was like, wow, Susie kind of, she wasn't a good character, really. I mean, she stole money from the Mennonite funds to yeah. fund her trip. And what did she steal from the drawer She stole, in the like, office? a compact, oh, I guess, okay. like a little I didn't know if it was, like, lipstick or, or something. And then, you know, she actually showed Sarah how to pick the lock. Yeah. But then she also, I didn't realize this either. She appropriates her clothes at the end. Like, she took... Took her robe, yeah. yeah. I noticed oh. that, too. Yeah, and so she, she was on the slide the whole time. And plays, like, super sweet and innocent yeah, at exactly. first when she's, like, all shy and giggly always. And then you kind of see the other stuff start to come out. Exactly. And I think yeah. that's kind of what those flashbacks do, too. It's like, you see the Mennonites and that kind of, you know, these women as kind of pure and innocent and... She's like complete opposite of that. Yeah, and running away yeah. to watch Blanc perform yep. in New York and getting punished and, and not caring that yeah. she was going to get punished. So I was like, oh, I didn't really pay attention to that until somebody spelled it out. And then when you watch, you're like, oh, she was shady? Yeah, there's an edge underneath. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so at one point when they're talking about, a little bit earlier in the movie, when they're sort of talking about which girls might be good candidates and stuff, and oh my god, this Susie, she just came on and she's she's like Sarah, but so much more pure. Or mm-hmm. something like that. Or she's somehow purer. She's clean. Yeah. Do you think Mother scolding her for playing with herself accidentally turned her into a better vessel for Mother Suspiriorum? Yeah, I think all those events leading up to it does. I mean... It was road to hell paved with good intentions sort of thing. <laughs> you know, that's kind of interesting too is with the hands. You know, her hands... It's alluded that her hands get burnt with the iron and yeah. things like that. And the hands are what actually get her in trouble. Then you can play on the whole idle hands as the devil's play thing, whatever. Yeah. So, that, I mean, there's even some of those allusions, too. I don't know. I was just like, but, did, I mean, did mom question. accidentally make her an even better vessel? But do you oh. think that would make her stop masturbating, though? I, just based I think on she's, how edgy I, she is? I, I don't think, know. I don't know. And well, how, like, she maybe, does get very sexual later in her dance moves. Yeah, she's, she's being more expressive because she, yeah. she can. Yeah, because she can. I feel like if she kept it up, we would have been shown it. Maybe. I think that was like the big bottling in moment. And it was now that she's out, she had to like go against her family and do a bunch of shitty stuff to get out of that situation. 
But if you look at it, she was also being horribly shittily repressed. Oh, like yeah. at a certain know. point, something's got to break. Yeah. And, and so, of course, she was a little her. bit of a shitty person to be yeah. able to get out of there. Yeah. But once she's out of there, then it takes a while for the rest to come in. And I mean, I'm sure like the witchcraft fucking helps the fact that they literally have her hair and piss to work fucking spells with. So yeah, I thought that was kind of neat and too. And give her everybody else's talents. Mm-hmm. Too. Yeah, that was pretty cool. It's like those little attention to details is when they're prepping for Volk, and the woman has like the very baritone bass voice, mm-hmm. snipping her that hair. That was impressive. That God was awesome. Damn, her voice is yeah. something else. That was, Holy shit! That was one of the coolest. I think Sabbath scenes I've ever seen. I'm probably will ever see for a while. Mm-hmm. It's like that's like ooh, this is kind of what I was waiting for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some witchy shit. I was yeah. I mean the first time through, and I think we might have talked about this a little bit, but when they revealed it was witchy off the bat, I'm like, well now how witchy are we gonna get? Yeah, that's a good point because it was especially because so it's still pretty low key most of the movie. Even yeah. when they start doing like magic, it's like real subtle shit where you just tell the Olga scene. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of where I piece together is like, oh, they're using sacred geometry mm-hmm. and dimensional things to transfer energy and destruction. And it's like, that is really cool. They're incorporating the dance and their magic spells. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in Patricia's diary, you can see the astral planes where things happen. It's like, yeah. ooh, this is cool. Here's something I, I don't think I've seen anybody really mention who's reviewed it outside of us, perhaps, is... I noticed with some of the lining in the hallways and the rooms, there's gold strips. And I don't think that's by coincidence, knowing what he's doing. And gold is one of the, the best conductors. So with energy and with seeing and things like that, there's information you can store within gold and things of that nature too. It's like, I haven't seen anything, but I wonder how much that was an influence too on the fact that these witches can see and know what's going on. Then having superconductors inside the rooms in the form of gold, yeah, it's just gonna reverberate all that shit, yeah, even exponentially. But that's something I just notice out of geek, them, I suppose. I liked the little detail of when uh, they were first gonna work on the dance past Volk, how they made sure to block off all the mirrors yeah, so that their experiment, see. well, no, so that their experimenting wouldn't be amplified. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. going out. Yeah, that's a good point too. Because they know that, I mean, they're explicitly using these girls to work spells. And the idea is that they're working another one with this next dance. And so this experimenting could lead to unforeseen disasters if it's amplified in their normal way. Yeah, that's a good point. What I thought was interesting, too, is like she mentioned, Madame Blanc, what the new dance they were working on, how literally it meant rebirth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, they're totally spelling these things out, especially mm-hmm. if you're paying attention to detail. But that was cool. She's like, you know, you need to learn French, too, in order to know exactly the movements and what we're doing. It doesn't just relate back to ballet, but it's important for our casting of spells. So stuff like that, that was really cool. So this movie has me absolutely convinced. Coming up in like a year and a half, I will definitely be casting my vote for Mother Suspiriorum. I'm with her. <laughs> yeah, I don't need my head getting blown off. <laughs> I'm totally with you there. Yeah, if we had a vote today. Yeah, I'm going with. I'm voting for the Suspiriorum Blanc ticket. Yes, 2020. I'm with you there. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm totally with that one. If that's the case, down with Marcos. That's right. Yeah, Marcos Trump. I mean, those would be good bumper stickers, man. We might be onto something. <laughs> I like that. 
Banyan Blanc, 2020. Yeah, that was just my eventual takeaway from how all that vote turned out. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm with her. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so after you and I, Tyler, that is, when we first watched it, in my initial impression, aside from all the, like, the missing bits I didn't piece together until much later, is when I think of witch films, there's only a few, right? And there's some decent the ones. The Witch. Yeah, The Witch is, I mean, more modern. That's great. I think of... Witchfinder General. Yeah, Witchfinder General. No, when I, when I think, of, like, Hocus Pocus. So, witches, in one way, it's kind of a little bit hokey. Yeah. You know? It's like, they're a little bit too playful. But when I think of witches, I want them to be like this. I want them to be, like, evil. I want them to be into the esoteric, into, like, the mysticism. And I felt like this movie did it in a way where they do it clandestinely. You know, from the outside observer, they don't know these things. But inside, there's some wicked shit going on. And they're using mm-hmm. the dance as a cover, but also in their favor. Because it is a part of witchcraft. I mean, with uh, certain films, you see certain dances and fire worshipping and things like that. But it just gets across that they are using magic. And it's not just hand gestures and flying broomsticks and shit. Like talking cats and stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's like, this is what I want witch films to be about. It's yeah. like some dark shit. I was going to say, one of the big takeaways for me from this movie, and what's impressive with their working of magic and the use of the dance, is that the dancing obviously is very like strenuous anyway, Yeah. but they're all trained dancers. Literally, like except yeah. for your leads, they were hired because they were dancers first, actresses second. They make sure to emote through the dance how much harder it's becoming because they're working this magic. Yeah. It, to me, it was almost just like watching like a giant prayer wheel, like just barely being turned and like the exertion being used to make it actually happen yeah, because sure. there's something in the spokes or fucking whatever. But like in my mind, it was just like this grinding, gradual prayer wheel that they're not just dancing against normal forces, but at a certain point, it feels through their movements oh, yeah. like they're running up against something. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And pushing film. it out. Yeah. It's kind of a shame that Argento... Doesn't like it? Doesn't like it. I saw film. that he was I, hating on it. <laughs> I understand because his is the foundation, right? But because they're using that rebirth motif in this... I mean, Guadagnino couldn't it's do this It's meta. Film. Yeah, it's super meta. Guadagnino couldn't do this film without Argento. Yeah. And Argento couldn't do it without Guy's essay and all this other shit that's going on in and around Europe and... Yada yada, but the way I look at it is he set the foundation. He's still borrowing things, but he, he he's not trying to be you. Yeah. You know, it's like I like that because his score, like Argento's score with Goblin, is iconic. His use of colors and even like the death sequences are iconic. Oh, Juan right. Nino wasn't trying to do that. Do yourself a favor, watch the original at some point. Oh yeah. The I score. Time I know. The I score is almost its own character. Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Whereas York's, I like, I really like York's score in this, but he wasn't trying to replicate Goblin, where he was another character in the film. He just provided a backdrop mm-hmm. to the emotions that were going on in the film, and I like that. It was subtle, but it was also poignant. You know, you knew what it was conveying, and I mean, that's part of the reason why I went and seen Goblin yeah. <laughs> to score that, because it's like, I don't know how often, if ever, I'll be able to see that, and then being able to meet Simonetti, that was really cool. But for me, 
I, I love, I really like this film a lot. I mean, I'm almost on the point where I think it might be better than Argento's, but I kind of don't want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> don't, we still need an audience, Dan. I know, don't like, say it, just think like, it really hard. Is, yeah. like, I, I'm a huge fan of Argento and Italian cinema, uh, specifically the giallos and the horror from the 70s and 80s. But man, Guadagnino, he did a damn great job. <laughs> he did a really good job. I said so that's why I kind of hate the fact that Argento doesn't like it. But this I movie is so that. good; it's it makes objective. me interested in watching "Call Me by Your Name." I know we talked about that before you came over too. <laughs> really? It's like, yeah. It's like uh, when I saw the previews for "Call Me by Your Name," I was like, "This feels like Didn't a pedophile like, grooming yeah. film." Yeah. I do like Army Hammer though. I'm at it too. They to like digitally like remove his scrotum from that movie because his booty shorts were so short. Oh, I didn't know that. That's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, he was short shorts. I haven't seen it yet because I think it would hurt my feelings. And also, there's the like grooming aspect that I'm not so. Yeah, it's not, I'm not jive with that, but I'm still kind of interested from like the artistic standpoint. Yeah, like, I can separate a little bit of that, but I still know that's up on Front Street too. It's like ah. Uh, that get, that gets into murky waters with certain directors that I can yeah. appreciate their film and their art, but man, they're shady. Fuck, I'm not saying that about Guadagnino, but that film itself is a little. It reminds you of too treading. many real things. Yeah, yeah. So it's treading on some some weird water. Some uh, Brian Singer things. Oh, big time, big time. But um, yeah, overall, like this is one of our I think our both of our top films of last year. Like it made the list. Oh, absolutely! This um, movie is so fucking fantastic. Yeah, you know, going into it too is like I had mixed feelings and emotions about it because first, how much is he gonna, you know, rely on Argento's mm-hmm. his vision from the original, and what what exactly is he trying to tell in this film? And I feel like because he diverted from some of the mythology, it's like uh, it makes this film like. It's almost like its own it's universe. Still, it's still hard to describe because it relies so, so insanely heavily on the lore from Argento. Absolutely. Yeah. It does nothing the same. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. don't need to know any of that lore to watch this movie. Yeah. But it relies really so heavily on it. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, it, it does tie in what he's trying to convey to us. But like you say, you don't necessarily need to know all that. It helps, but you really don't need to know it. I wanted to know all of it as well, soon as I like turned it off. Oh, like right? movies like yeah. this, it's I, I like it. I kind of felt the same way when I went and seen Hereditary. It's like it's yeah. one of those films after I watch it, like I want to research it. I always become like yeah. obsessive compulsive about it. Mm-hmm. I felt this way about this film, and like my notes kind of show that I could probably could run another two or three pages. But it's like my hand hurts, and how much am I really going to be able to talk about this without? Like really geeking out. I had a hard time writing notes because I got I just kept watching the movie. Yeah. I'd be like, I don't want to stop. I don't want to think about. I'm just want to see what happens next. Fuck this. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I didn't want to take too long to write notes because I didn't start watching the movie until two. So I was like, oh. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I guess I've got a few questions, and this isn't really yeah. have to do with like the film. It's, well, a little bit about the film itself, but more more about the fact that. If I was playing the doctor, I too would have strapped a fake dick to my leg. Would you? <laughs> no. You and I went and seen the new Halloween last October, but David Gordon Green was slated to direct the film before, and uh, Natalie Portman was given the chance to be Susie Banyan, and they both turned it down, and then it sat for a while before Guadagnino got back on board with it. How would you have felt about that? Was Portman slated to play Susie just because of like probably Black Swan. Black Swan. Yeah, I would think so. Because I, th- I would have just been like, "Fucking 
typecast her as something else. I don't want yeah. to see her as a fucking ballerina again. Yeah. I like Natalie Portman, but I think it would have taken me out of it a little bit more. I liked Dakota Johnson, but there were some lines she said in this that felt like She has flat. a couple really dumb lines. Yeah. Yeah, and when she's, like, being, like, sickly sweet at the beginning, too, and I wasn't yeah. super it's like, into it. She's a good actress, but some of it was, it fell a little flat for me. Like, yeah. I only need to be told twice. It's like, you, that, didn't, you didn't need yeah. to say that. Oh, that made me roll my eyes so hard. Yeah. I hated that line so, so much. <laughs> yeah. Why, even, like, shouldn't the editor just cut that line? Does that line even matter at that point? It really doesn't. No. no. It did, because that was, there was the, the line that ended that scene. I was like, I didn't need that. That was kind of dumb. Yeah, kind of otherwise, it was kind of from... a powerful scene, yeah, I was saying, which is away... stupid because all it was was jumping. But... but yeah, I mean, it drove home the point that she was stressing the fact that she needed to create that distance, and then she gives that line. It's like, oh, really? They could have just smiled yeah. at each other. Yeah, exactly. Like the acknowledgement without that line. Without that line, yeah. Yeah, like I said, it didn't detract me from the movie, but it detracted me from that scene. It's like, Ooh. yeah, yeah. Like said, but I mean, aside from that, there wasn't very much of that at all in the film. Like, the no. exchanges. I know some people didn't like the backdrop of having the RAF and the Bader Manhoff and all that stuff. But I saw that in a lot of reviews. I, I liked it because it does drive home the point of the divide. I like know, it because it drives home the fact that they're in the world. Well, that too, mm-hmm. yeah. And they make themselves known, too. Like, they act, they go out and eat dinner. and So they are still active, which, you know, that's a good point. Yeah, they're not completely shrouded in mystery. Yeah. They're still Even active. Even that scene when they are eating dinner, though, it was interesting that they're all, like, basically putting on a show of drinking and carrying drinking, on and singing. then mentally being very serious. And yeah. That was super fucking cool. I love yeah. that. They were aware of the fact that, that the oh, girls yeah. were outside, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which that, is really cool. Yeah, that was... I like that a lot. Yeah. But, you know, one thing, too, is... Wait, so that reminds like, me. How creepy is, like the last big dinner that you see at the table before shit goes down where they're all like come here young girls yeah what did you think about that because i i kind of felt like some of them were thinking like and you could see the them getting uncomfortable i kind of felt like it was like almost like the witches were getting ahead of themselves like if this works for mother marcos then yeah look at this that's a good point too yeah you're right they're mocking that that's really good and the the two who are not they're kind of totally absolved from that are Blanc and Susie at that Which point. is funny because Susie, if I remember right, sits at a different seat she at does. first yeah, and then she moves over. The head. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so she's she's removing herself from that equation. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck this noise. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I, they kinda of drive home the point too, we're talking about his She's like, It's film. only Blanc that's gonna have fans all over me. But yeah. But I think that too it, it, it's the motherhood, it's the corruption of power within certain structures, but it's also mocking the fact that, yeah, you know, if this is working for Marcos, you could be the next one for me, mm-hmm. perhaps. Oh, yeah, that got really weird, really creepy. Yeah. Really, that was some call me by your name shit. That's what I was saying. That's like, ew, that was a little, yeah. But I was going to say that, that. Except they're all legal. Yeah. But the dinner scene itself, though, <laughs> yeah, reminded me. Otherwise, that last way. scene gets a lot weirder. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've been to Germany a few times when I was little with my grandmother. But there are restaurants, you know, thinking back on it, where you'd have large groups of people at dinner tables and being jovial, and it felt like that. Like, when I watched that scene, I was like, I've actually been in, in restaurants that had that happen, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So it felt authentic, too, is what I'm getting at. Even though, for them, that wasn't the point. They were faking that, you know, yeah. that atmosphere. 
they're having a fucking politics discussion. Yeah, basically. essentially. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of neat, too. I mean, not neat, but it's, it kind of drops on the point Argento made, too, with certain scenes. There's a scene in the original where I think it's the blind guy, Daniel, and his dog, they're in, like, a, oh. that pub. But that's where, like, some major political things got done inside that pub within the German party or the Nazi party. Like, they were signing some shady shit inside those halls. I'm not saying that's what Guadagnino is doing, but it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. There are some comparisons later where they're comparing the, the witches to the fucking... Patricia's diary is comparing Marcos and the rest of the witches to the fucking Reich, basically. I mean, or, at least yeah. the, or at least the, that's what the doctor's taking from it. Because uh, I mean, he's point. like, I lived through this shit, so I can tell you what I'm reading right here. Yeah. This is what they were doing. Well, they relied on the esoteric and the occult as well. Or at so. least tried to. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, that's... It's so that's where neat. we get Hellboy. <laughs> <laughs> but it just shows you how layered this film is, too. Like, there's a lot of detail in this film. And I can see why it took a while to get off the floor. Mm-hmm. Because uh, mm-hmm. in the wrong hands, this would have been a total flop. Here's the other... Yeah, with bad. so much detail, it also doesn't surprise me why so many people nitpick on different aspects of yeah, it. Because exactly. if you job. wanted to make a full movie of any of the little detail through lines in this movie, any of them can be fleshed out into its own two-hour movie. Absolutely. And instead we have like six of these different layers all shoved together in a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Yeah. He apparently wanted to, to have this film itself to be part one. And the studios are like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> because you're right. I was, like, I was thinking that. I was like, with all this attention to detail, this movie could have been a miniseries if it wanted to be. Absolutely. Uh, it's just, you can play around with so many different things that were going on in the film. But, I mean, it still drives home points, and I can see where people, they're like, oh, they're relying too much on this, or not focusing too much on that. It's, or it's why even bring this up if you're only going to talk about it yeah. this much? Yeah. But then, it, you know, that kind of gets back into the behind the scenes with the studio and how much effect you know, it has on the film, the, the overall product. But regardless, I still think this is a, a strong film. I fucking, I dig this so much. Yeah. So, so much. So glad that we covered it. I don't really have anything extra to add. We went through all my notes, so I'm kind of speechless over here unless somebody yeah. else has something to add. No, I was excited to be able to, you know, actually <clears throat> express what we got out of it because... Usually I'm excited we... to have Quincy back well, on the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, we don't really get to you know expound a lot on our ideas or thoughts after we see a film in the theater, because some of it's like you don't want to spoil it for other people. But two, you're, you're still getting that initial impression. Yeah. So you don't know how much to digest or how much you're actually getting out of it. But I think watching it a second time and then now a third time, it's like, oh man, there's so much shit I missed. Yeah. But then it's it's also neat because I can go back and probably pick out more stuff that I didn't pick up on later. And, you know, getting your different perspectives on it, you know, kind of flushes things out too. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, I mean, I really do, because we, there was a lot that we didn't really want to talk about right after seeing this movie for the first time, yeah. and a lot that we were still processing. Jesus, I know, after seeing it, you know, it's a two and a half hour movie, and then trying to process it right after, it's yeah. overwhelming. So I'm definitely glad we got the chance to come back and visit it again. Yeah. When if we like movies enough, you can expect that to happen more and more. Yeah, We've found ways so. to bring back Dead Alive. We've found yeah. ways to bring back <laughs> House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, that was fun. We have a way that is in the works to bring back Raw. Ooh, yes we do. Yeah. 
That's, that's gonna be fun. That's, that's gonna, gonna be fun. fun. Bring back Tusk and make Damien talk about it. I could bring back Tusk and make Damien. I could bring back Tusk and make Damien and Dylan talk about that it because be... Dylan has been getting more and more into Kevin Smith as well. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, you're kind of except all more on like the podcast comedy side, and so, so I could be yeah, like, yeah. by the way, here's probably the most fucked up movie he made. <laughs> well, this in Red State. <laughs> yeah, which is fun. We did that as a doubleheader, but you're right. It's nice now. To where, you know, we get certain things out of films, but to have an extra third person, fourth person in, mm-hmm. it, it's always fun. And to have people that we work with and, you know, share common interests with, it's fun. So, yeah, thank yeah. you for coming back over. And yeah, then we, we put you through a test that was harrowing, but this one, hopefully not so much. Well, yeah, well, in the test your fright like unwillingly turned me into a horror fan I think and I think part of that is that I thought horror was just like slasher movies which I'm not into but anyway we brought this by the way Suspiria the original is kind of a bad slasher movie before it gets to the witch part yeah yeah exactly and that plays into like the giallo kind of trope of the whodunit Mm -hmm. aspect of the slasher but yeah, I think that's the thing about horror. It's so much the, more. Yeah, it's the bastard child of cinema because <laughs> it gets lumped in because it's just gore and it's just over-the-top nudity and just, you know, exploitation. Just ladies getting sawed in half. Yeah, exactly. I mean, vagina up. It's just like anything. It's That's the proper... <laughs> down. The, she was hanging upside down. Whatever. Yeah. But there, I mean, like I said, once you peel back the layers, just like any other... I guess, form of art, there's a lot of things on both sides of the scale, on both sides of the spectrum that you can teeter-totter with. But yeah. Yeah, it's not just your slashers and gore and blood and all that stuff. There's also films like this. Yeah. And you'll be back for another film like this. Yeah. As soon as we figure out when in the future we're going to do that. Speaking of the future, it would be super awesome if all of you people listening to this episode, which I hope there's a lot of, would hit subscribe to continue listening to us as we move forward. I mean, if you don't like how you're listening to us, you can always head over to our website, www.friedsworms.com. There's links to other ways to listen to us up at the top, and the latest episode is always streaming down at the bottom. In between, you have links to the archives, to all of our online portals, the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook. And you can always contact us through the website or at squirmcast at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, it'd be super, super helpful if you guys would like rate and like drop a comment or whatever it is rate and review because that just helps us in the algorithm and get the word out more so yeah good good and or bad just let us know let don't, us know don't bad no all that good well of course reviews are reviews regardless but no i mean like i said let us know if there's suggestions recommendations for films if there's any ways we can improve we just like to hear from fans and people within the industry as well so if it's bad put it under five stars just so that we see it because otherwise we're not going to look at it so yeah make it constructive if it's yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly expel those ideas yeah but shit that's about all i got so for this week i'm tyler i'm danny i'm quincy (laughs) fried squirms out. out